Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Barbell Chirocast. Um, so <clears throat> in this episode, I'm going to talk a bit about blood flow restriction training. Uh, so, so far, the different uh, podcasts that I've put out have been a little more, I guess, clinically minded. Uh, this one's going to kind of uh, transition more into basically some training-based stuff. Um, and blood flow restriction training is a, a method of training that I've been interested in since probably around 2013 or so, maybe... Yeah, right around there. And so it's been quite a while. Um, And if you haven't heard about it, I'm sure in the next handful of years, I'm sure you will. Um, But BFR or blood flow restriction training uh, is kind of making a a big splash in the rehab world, making a a pretty decent splash in the fitness resistance training world, strength and conditioning world. And, And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so what it is, uh, it is kind of what it sounds like. So blood flow restriction. So you're restricting blood flow while you do some sort of exercise. Um, This began years ago uh, with something that is now called Katsu. I think it's K-A-T-T-S-U or maybe it's K-A-A-T-S-U. Katsu training. Um, And uh, Katsu training it started with with a man who, for one way or another, figured out that if he sat on his legs long enough um, to the point where they felt like they were starting to fall asleep, and uh, he noticed some uh, increase in hypertrophy in his lower limbs. That's not the the best story, and that might not be totally accurate, but that's a you know, long story short or boiled down version. That's kind of how he realized uh, maybe restricting some blood flow has some sort of... Uh, uh, potential benefit to uh, the muscle there. And so um, more recently, uh, how BFR in the last handful of years has gotten to be so popular is uh, uh, they started utilizing it for um, veterans, trying to rehab veterans. And so they took this uh, research on katsu and applied that research of restricting blood flow to limbs to try and um, increase muscle strength, increase muscle hypertrophy while basically not being able to uh, load that that limb up very much. So again, kind of a, a little bit more of a definition of blood flow restriction training is cutting off blood flow, I shouldn't say cutting off, restricting blood flow to either the legs, so putting a, a cuff typically around the upper thigh or around the upper arm, uh, pumping that cuff up or getting a tightness that would occlude about 80% of the arterial flow. So nowadays there's some pretty fancy systems out there that you can use that uh, can measure this on their own, or you can use a, a Doppler uh, uh, mechanism to uh, get the blood flow occlusion that you're desiring. And, uh, <clears throat> but we want 80% of arterial f- flow occluded. So we still have a little bit of blood coming into the, the leg or the arm, depending on what we're training. Uh, but because venous return naturally has a lower pressure than arterial flow does, uh, that venous return is actually going to be occluded at 100%. Um, now this sounds, this is the big thing that, that people get hung up on is, is doing something like this with a tourniquet or cutting off blood flow sounds relatively dangerous. Um, but by now there's been tons and tons of research suggesting that it's actually relatively safe, not really much more dangerous than doing normal resistance training. Um, and so, uh, 
Now, obviously, I'm not advocating that everyone, as soon as you, you get done listening to this, you'll wrap up your legs or anything. I, I would definitely advise you, uh, if you wanted to do something like this, look in, in your area to see if there's someone that has uh, cuffs uh, uh, or knows what they're doing to be able to apply this. I'm just kind of, uh, you know, like I said, with, with these episodes, explaining uh, some different topics that I'm interested in. So, um, but, but the point of doing BFR is being able to do some sort of training for the muscles without needing to get under a heavy load. So <clears throat> a lot of rehab is designed to try and increase muscle strength, increase muscle size. Um, and obviously that's what a lot of people are doing when they're doing resistance training. And the catch with that is typically speaking to get pretty good results with gaining strength and gaining size for the muscle, you need to have a pretty good stimulus to get that adaptation. Now, if you are injured or hurt, um, it's pretty easy to understand or see that, you know, being able to get under heavier loads to create that stimulus is not super, super easy. So with blood flow restriction training, what you can do is you can put these cuffs on the upper arm, upper leg, um, do the training and, uh, only need to use about 20 to 30 percent of your one rep max and so that's a pretty substantial cut in um, overall weight needed during exercise and so obviously this is uh, you can start to see why bfr is uh, basically taking off pretty fast in in the rehab world uh, <clears throat> because again we don't necessarily need the heavy loads and we can still get a pretty good stimulus from the muscle so again, just kind of backtracking just a second, um, in the muscle development world or hypertrophy world, there's three main mechanisms that we can basically get uh, muscle hypertrophy from. One of them is mechanical load. So just having, um, some sort of external load that you would normally see at the gym. Um, another or number two would be muscle damage. So Typically with this, we're talking more um, eccentric work, um, things that really pull the actin and myosin apart. So this is uh, a lot of times that muscle damage is kind of attributed to um, things that really, really make you sore, kind of give you that DOMS uh, sensation. And then the third avenue for uh, hypertrophy or, or muscle growth is metabolic work. And so this is higher reps. This is essentially when you start to get that muscle burn. Um, that's kind of what we're talking about with that. And so these three principles, obviously they usually work together. You don't usually just have one of these and not the other, right? Um, but uh, typically with, with traditional resistance training, when you're using 60 plus percent of a one rep max to do some sort of set, uh, we have that mechanical load, right? We might have a little bit of that muscle damage effect if we're doing a, maybe, maybe some tempo work or something, and maybe a little bit of the metabolic work if we're doing sets of eight and higher, right? Uh, but the big proponent there is probably that mechanical load. So with the BFR training, we <clears throat> don't really have much of a mechanical load because our load is only about 20, 30%, uh, where we really kind of dial into is this metabolic workload <clears throat> that that muscle is going through and so because we literally cut off the uh, venous return not a lot of the metabolic byproducts that uh, are produced when we do a big set 
um, not a lot of those get flushed out. And so that muscle burn sensation that we get when we do higher rep stuff, that's essentially what we're kind of chasing when we do this BFR training. Um, <clears throat> so typically with a set of blood flow restriction training, we're usually doing, it, classically what's done in the research is a set of 30 and then subsequently three sets of 15 reps of whatever exercise you're doing. So, you know, just as an example, if you have the cuffs around your legs, you might do a set of 30 air squats or 30 squats and then three sets of 15 with about 30 seconds of rest in between each set. And you don't take the cuffs off in between sets at all. So um, usually you don't have the cuffs on for more than about a five or a six minute window there. Um, and so that in itself, keeping the cuffs on for a short period of time, um, keeps it pretty safe and pretty effective. Um, <clears throat> but during that first initial set of 30, what you're really doing with that big set of 30 there is you're trying to uh, use up or have the muscle cells eat up a lot of the oxygen that's you know available already. Um, and then because we don't have very much blood coming in, we have limited blood or nutrients coming in, when we do our subsequent sets of 15, we're already working in an environment that doesn't have a whole lot of oxygen available. So again, you know, the, the metabolic byproducts that, that we see, uh, we get a spike in growth hormone, we get a spike in, um, obviously, uh, uh, blood lactate, we get a spike in uh, IGF-1, um, things of that, that nature that we typically see with resistance training, but in this case, it's we see it pretty well with, with BFR. Um, <clears throat> and then... Uh, because we're putting our muscles in an environment that we don't have a lot of available oxygen, what we also see is the fast twitch muscle fibers tend to be recruited a bit more with BFR than not with BFR. And so <clears throat> um, if you remember some anatomy and physiology, our fast twitch uh, muscle fibers, they typically don't use oxygen. And so um, usually those muscles are used, uh, obviously, with trying to create a lot more power, a lot more speed, things of that nature, uh, but it, the utility of them is, is not very long, right? Um, and so after the auction gets, I'm sorry, uh, once auction is readily available, if we keep doing more and more sets, then we start transitioning more into the slower twitch fiber stuff. Uh, but with BFR, because we don't have the auction available, those... Uh, slow twitch fibers just can't contract as well as they would if there was oxygen available. So we see some pretty good, uh, like I said, uh, activity of the fast twitch fibers when we do uh, BFR training versus not BFR training. <clears throat> um, something else that happens uh, just with the fact that we've got these cuffs on and that venous flow can't return is the muscle pump so that you get with it. So most people who do some sort of higher rep training uh, are probably, or bodybuilding style training, probably, probably pretty familiar with the pump sensation that you can get from, from doing that training. Um, that pump sensation that you get with BFR training is uh, that plus whatever, right? Like it's pretty substantial. Um, <clears throat> but the, the very interesting thing about that pump sensation or the cell swelling effect that you get is that cell swelling in itself is a, a signal for protein synthesis to occur. So after we've done our set 
of uh, BFR. Later that day or throughout the day, we've got this increased um, uh, uh, protein synthesis going on in our body, basically telling our body, hey, we need more uh, building blocks down here to build bigger, stronger muscles. So <clears throat> I'm going to mention a, a caveat here for BFR training. So I've been a fan of this for quite a while, and uh, I've implemented it in my own training uh, from time to time. Um, but the, the catch with, with BFR training is when we really do a deep dive into the research, it comes back to tell us that BFR is pretty much as effective as doing your normal, uh, you know, tough resistance training. So if someone has the ability to do, you know, 60 to 70 plus percent of their one rep max, uh, resistance training, then, then they're probably, <clears throat> doing just fine with keeping with that and not necessarily worrying about BFR. And um, so, you know, why this is uh, be becoming so popular, though, is the fact that, you know, obviously we're probably talking about a population who can't lift that much weight. So um, populations where this is beginning to be pretty uh, popular is, let's say, an injured athlete. Um, you know, classically, one of the uh, good examples is um, an athlete who might have just torn their ACL, um, looking at potentially having surgery. Um, one of the big things that goes on with ACL reconstruction is uh, leg or quad atrophy. And so <clears throat> this is a good tool that you can use pre and post surgery to keep up with muscle size, keep up with muscle strength, um, all the while not necessarily having to load that person up under you know huge enormous amounts of, of external load. Um, <clears throat> And, and that's just one example, right? It could be for any part of the body. Um, another population that this is, um, I think, going to be pretty popular with, especially in the future, is the geriatric population. So um, pretty well known that falls uh, are a pretty big deal. And falls, a lot of times when we look into the research for that, can be attributed to overall leg strength, overall uh, coordination, muscle size of the lower limbs. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, again, using... Uh, just basically the principles that I've laid out here, it's pretty easy to see that doing some BFR training could be a, a pretty good, effective way at developing leg strength, leg size, uh, coordination, balance, things of that nature. Um, <clears throat> and that doesn't even get into the fact that, you know, there's a lot of good evidence that suggests that people who have more muscle, more lean muscle mass as they age tend to live longer, healthier lifestyles. So that's, you know, separate from you know, the, the risk of falls. But again, if you've got more lean muscle mass, especially when we're talking lower body, the odds of you falling are probably a lot less likely. Um, but, you know, again, that same population, the geriatric population, something you have to worry about is bone mineral density. Um, if they've been detrained for a long period of time, their muscles probably can't tolerate a heavy, heavy load. Um, so <clears throat> this BFR idea of really, really light loads for... Uh, you know, a five to six minute window of doing that rep scheme that I mentioned um, could be a, pr a pretty good way of, of training this population to get pretty good adaptations in a short, quick, easy uh, time period. Um, <clears throat> and then just some other populations that I could see it being very, very useful in is uh, maybe strength-oriented athletes or athletes playing different sports who are looking to add a little bit more strength and conditioning volume but don't necessarily have either the time or the uh, 
the ability or desire to get under another heavy load. So again, this is pretty similar to getting under 60, 70 plus percent uh, of your one rep max and doing some sort of, of training. The catch with that is if you've ever done that for longer periods of time, like at some point <clears throat> training repetitively, it just gets, it kind of wears on you. And so if, if there's athletes who are already towards the top of their game, but they want to add in a little bit more volume, but um, they've kind of tapped out different resources in terms of just getting their standard volume, they could do something like this where the overall load is pretty low and see if they can increase their, their overall volume of training in that fashion. Another uh, you know, utility I see, or way I could see this being utilized is um, athletes in season. <clears throat> so uh, college, professional, even high school athletes, it's pretty typical, especially I'm thinking more of the college athlete. Um, in season, you don't do a whole lot of resistance training. And in season is where you tend to drop off or lose a little bit more of your, um, I guess, uh, <clears throat> training uh, or I'm sorry, uh, strength and muscle size or hypertrophy that you had gained in the preseason or, or off season. And so <clears throat> if we can try and keep that, so and caveat to that, that's not saying that you get worse at your sport as the season goes on, because when you're playing your sport, you're specifically training your sport. So you tend to get better at it, but because we're not doing our resistance training, we tend to see a decrease in muscle strength and size. So you, Skill gets a little bit better, but overall condition of the muscle tends to drop off a little bit. And we're talking not a huge amount here, but um, if you had a one rep max at the beginning of the season, and as soon as the season ended, you did a one rep max, I would put money that that one rep max at the end of the season would probably be a little bit less in, in most cases. All right. So anyway, so BFR during the season is a good way of keeping overall load on the players uh, down or to a manageable level and uh, allowing them to still get their practices in, um, <clears throat> not feel super fatigued, and then on top of all of that, maintain a certain strength or, or muscle size level um, as the season progresses. So if we can keep our muscle strength and size at a pretty good level all season long while also improving our skill for our sport, I can't help but, but imagine that that would um, have an extra benefit to us being, you know, really, really good by the time the season ends. Um, so those are some of the different uh, ideas or um, places I could see BFR being pretty darn beneficial. Um, again, all that being said, if you're somebody who's weekend warrior, um, you know, maybe goes to the gym, you know, three to five times a week, and you've got nothing going on in terms of injuries. Um, you're not necessarily shooting for anything super, super competitive. Um, I don't know if BFR is going to add to what you could already be doing if you were doing some uh, resistance training already. But if you're looking for somebody like you're in some of those populations that I mentioned before, maybe you're dealing with some nagging injuries, uh, things of that nature, then I would say by all means, uh, look in your area for either a chiropractor or a physical therapist, or uh, maybe even a personal trainer who has the means to do this sort of training. Again, <clears throat> um, in certain settings, especially in the clinic, we usually want to monitor how we're applying this uh, to, to our patients. In the personal training world, um, still, it would be nice to know 
how much pressure we're putting or applying uh, to these cuffs that we might be using, things of that nature. So I would definitely say uh, make sure you, that you get with somebody who knows what they're doing if you want to uh, implement this, this type of training. Um, but it's beginning to get more and more popular. There's tons of, of really good research out there suggesting that it's uh, basically it does all the things that, that we think it does. Um, some of the mechanisms of behind why it really, really works um, aren't super, super uh, nailed down yet, uh, but you could say that with a lot of even exercise-based training. Um, <clears throat> but all that being said, it's it's a pretty cool, pretty exciting tool that, that a lot of people could be utilizing, and uh, it's been something I've been passionate about for quite a while, so I figured it could be a topic that I would be able to sit here and talk, and it's been about 20 minutes about. So um, again, if you've got any questions about anything, feel free to uh, follow me, uh, message me on Instagram. So that's at barbell underscore Cairo. And uh, that's probably where I'm going to be housing some of my uh, content as well as um, if you've got any questions, that's probably a good place to, to message me. Um, <clears throat> and as always, you know, like, subscribe, share, all that great stuff for for the podcast and for, uh, like I said, my Instagram page. And uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, um, go ahead and, and share this with, uh, with anything you anyone you think might be interested. Um, thanks, and that's all for today. Bye-bye.